welcome to the One in One Podcast, where a below-average podcaster chats with an above-average athlete. I'm your host, Bridget B. Today's guest is Derek Shell, a former basketball player from Hillsdale College, located in south-central Michigan. Derek made headlines in 2013 when he came out as the first openly gay Division II basketball player. Derek, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. <laughs> Derek, I remember reading your coming out article that you wrote um, on Outsports.com around the time it was published in 2013. And it's been six years since then. And I still remember some of the lines from it because it was just so beautifully written. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, it feels like forever ago. And I always have people kind of trickling in still in the inbox or the email or the Facebook or whatever um, saying like, oh, you're that guy who likes Glee or you're the one who is like the Power Rangers kid. Um, so I still get known for things from that article still today. So um, I connect with you there. I still remember writing it. Um, and it seems to be still having effect today. So absolutely no regrets there. That's great. And we're definitely going to get into that a little bit more later. Uh, but to start off, can you tell us a little about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm a Midwest boy turned current New York City resident, but um, I grew up in Wisconsin um, and just basically came from a family of athletes. My parents actually met playing college basketball, and my sister, who played Division I college basketball, is currently married to a professional basketball player. So it was kind of in our blood. Um, I fell in love with the sport at a young age and um, you know, fell in love with it. I was a coach's kid and we ended up, you know, um, I uh, decided on division two. It was the best fit for me and kind of my skill set and where I wanted to go in terms of a small school. So I went to Hillsdale college in Michigan, um, got a full ride scholarship there. Um, and then from there life and personal life and all that good stuff that happens when you're an adult took me to the East coast. And I was in Connecticut for three years and I've been in New York City, the Big Apple, for the last year, so kind of a whirlwind adventure. Wow, so the Midwest to the Northeast. Yeah, uh, big change, big change. First, you think everyone's kind of a jerk, uh, and then you just realize people just want to do their own thing and kind of live their own life. So you get used to it after a while, but my mom was nervous that I was going to you know, develop some pretty thick skin once I headed out here. <laughs> <laughs> and by any chance, does your family like the movie Love and Basketball? It seems to be a good fit. Um, it's so funny that you asked that. My sister used to watch that movie before every single one of her high school basketball games with one of her teammates. So I am very, very familiar with that movie. Um, it's one of my favorites. USC Trojans. <laughs> it's a great one. The music in it is awesome also. Oh, I remember having that soundtrack and being like obsessed with it, which was really weird because it was like I was like 10 years old and I shouldn't have been watching that movie at all. But it was <laughs> basketball. So obviously I was into it. Yeah, there's a few racy scenes. The best <laughs> song in that movie isn't even on the soundtrack. It's the Destiny one. Oh, my gosh. I know. You don't want me to start singing. <laughs> no. Well, you don't want me to start singing either. So we should just cut it off now because that was really bad. <laughs> So, yeah, as you said, family full of basketball players. Did you play any other sports growing up? I did. I was kind of that, you know, try everything kid. I mean, I'm talking swim lessons, tennis lessons. Um, I did golf for a while. But ultimately, um, baseball, I stopped after seventh grade. Honestly, just club AAU basketball just kind of took over my life. And um, I made a really tough decision. My dad was actually a high school football coach. And after my freshman year, that was the last year I played high school football, um, and made the tough decision to kind of be like, 
you know, all in with basketball or not. Um, we had a pretty good high school football team and I didn't want to do 50, 50 on each. So decided to focus fully on basketball and, you know, that kind of paid off. (laughs) You had a very successful basketball career at Catholic Memorial in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Did I pronounce that right? It's actually Waukesha, but hearing East coast people trying to pronounce, you know, uh, City names in Wisconsin is always fun, so maybe we should just <laughs> leave that one on there. But, it's, yeah, it's in Waukesha, so small town, Wisconsin. I actually went to the same high school as my sister originally. She was a senior. I was a freshman at a public high school, um, the same school my dad um, coached at. And um, I wanted to play with my best friend, um, and he went to a private Catholic high school about 20 minutes away. So I kind of made the tough decision to – um, leave there. Um, and I went to Catholic Memorial where I finished out my last, uh, three years and ended with a, with a win in our last game too. <laughs> state championship in 2010. State champs. Yeah. It was actually funny. People, a lot of people don't know this story and I tell it a lot, but we actually, my sophomore year, the year after I transferred from that public high school, we actually got upset in the playoffs in the first round to my formal high school former high school, um, which was not fun. I got booed a lot. They were obviously kind of pissed that I left the school, Um, but it all kind of worked out. I got to play with my best friend in the world who I'm still best friends with. And, um, you know, we kind of got that revenge, I guess you could say, and, you know, finished our senior year with a state title, which to this day, I think is still one of my favorite days ever. That's awesome. And you also held the record for most three pointers made, right? Yep. I still, I actually checked on that record the other day, not from like an ego perspective, but I was just curious because we've had a couple good players kind of come up through the program there at Catholic Memorial and I wanted to check on it, check in on it. But yeah, I think I still have career three point field goals made, which I guess I can be proud of because it was only three years and not four there, but um, I'm still holding tight to that record. So that might be one of those glory days records that I always kind of keep an eye on. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> So, as we were saying, you're very successful on the court and also in the classroom. But high school was a difficult time for you, wasn't it? Yeah, high school was so weird for me. And people say that for a lot of different reasons. Um, You know, people are discovering themselves. They're going in and out of friend groups. For me, it was a combination of things. Obviously, I transferred from one high school to the next, right? So I went from a public high school to a private high school. So basically, I had to start over from from a friend perspective. And I would say kind of in parallel to that was kind of starting the struggle of discovering who I was and how that fit into my family dynamic. So, you know, I come from a a very strict traditional family, you know, still filled with love, but just a lot of expectations, right? I mean, college athletes, great grades, um, you know, just really good, you know, family values and um, which was tough for me because I was internally dealing with a lot of thoughts of questioning my sexuality and, you know, how does that fit in with kind of this, like, poster child, all-American kid, um, you know, model? Um, so I like to tell people that in high school I kind of compensated for that insecurity and confusion by just kind of being great at everything. I was kind of under the mindset of if you're just the best athlete or you're the best student or if you're really popular, I know that sounds kind of sad, but people won't think you're not okay. Um, and people will kind of not pay attention to it. So a lot of how are you's were met with, I'm fine, keep a smile on, and kind of just distracting with with being good at 
good at everything, um, which kind of carried me all through through college. So definitely a weird time for everyone. But for me, I think especially it was particularly challenging. Yeah, that does sound very challenging. And how old were you, if you don't mind me asking? How old were you when you realized that you were gay? That's always a tough one, because I don't know if there was an aha moment. I think I knew from a very young age, I want to say in middle school at some point. Um, That is really young. When you start to have crushes on your older sister's friends, um, you kind of start to realize that something (laughs) might be a little off. Um, I always had trouble developing kind of those, let's call it for lack of a better term, bro mentality friendships with even my guy friends. Um, I was always drawn to being closer to girls, um, just kind of a softer, more um, safe space, it felt like, uh, of no judgment. And then um, when I really came to terms with it was definitely while I was in college, where it was just kind of like, your whole life can be a fight you know, of this part of you, or you can just really accept it um, and kind of just kind of lean into it gracefully versus just having it be this struggle of this could be how you always feel all the time unless you really address it. So I knew from a young age, but I would say it definitely took me eight to 10 years to really come to grips with it and figure out how I was going to kind of move forward with my life from there. Wow. So you commit to play basketball at Hillsdale College, a private Christian school, one of the most conservative schools in the country. It's If you Google it, it's on every <laughs> list of most conservative schools in the U.S. But it's also a really good school, and one that's hard to get into. The acceptance rate, I believe, is less than 50%. So did you know their views when you decided to go there? And I know at that point, you're young, you're 17, 18. You didn't fully realize it yet, as you had just said. Did you choose to go there more because of the value of the education and the basketball program? Yeah, it was a combination of things. And I actually got this asked this question a lot when I was public speaking for the NCAA on diversity and inclusion, because a lot of athletic directors would say, well, well, people should just not come to our school if that's not one of our values. And honestly, at that time, you can't really expect a 17-year-old kid to know Um, You know, I committed when I was 17 years old to go to Hillsdale. And honestly, the only things on my mind were it's the perfect distance from home, four and a half hours. I get a full free kind of education, which happened to be a wonderful education of a good school that was going to challenge me academically. And I get to keep playing basketball. So honestly, I knew it was a conservative school. But if I'm being completely honest, I didn't know the severity of just how conservative it was until I was kind of in the midst of that environment, um, in, in, you know, kind of right in the thick of it, dealing with students and professors and really just an environment that was, um, you know, pretty toxic and, and just very, very conservative far end of the spectrum. So you'd say most of the professors and students also had those viewpoints? Yeah, I mean, it's a very small school. It's very tight-knit, and, um, you know, there's, I, I think I graduated, or, or there was only like 1,400 students at the time when I went there, the general messaging is very, um, I don't want to say group mentality, that might not be the right way to put it, but is very much, these are our values. If you are part of this group, part of this university, part of this kind of campus, you adhere to these values. And and, and unfortunately, there was a direct correlation with values and, and, and beliefs, which don't necessarily always correlate. But from there, there was a general sentiment, even from the faculty and 
um, kind of what we're seeing now in present day world, where if the leaders at the top believe something, it kind of trickles down. So there were certainly students and, and, and some students, um, majority uh, or, or a minority that, you know, didn't feel, you know, certain certain conservative values. But I would say for the most part, it was an overwhelming, you know, stance of, um, you know, very far right um, on the, you know, political and, um, you know, moral spectrum. I can't imagine how hard that was for you when you're, as you're discovering yourself and being in that environment. Yeah, it was a very weird dichotomy of, I wanted to have the pride to speak up or to voice my opinions, but at the same time, you know, you're looking for love and acceptance within yourself, but you're also kind of directing that outward and, and wanting it from other people too, right? So at the same time where you want to be cool and fit in with your teammates and have friends and, you know, college is all about kind of discovering yourself and, you know, having a great time. I just really couldn't do that. Um, outwardly, there was a lot of opinions that were shared, you know, um, you know, freely about people, uh, you know, that people expressed and very conservative, sometimes harsh opinions. And these were coming, you know, not only from students or you know, sometimes fellow team members or other, you know, colleagues, but also just from the administration of the school, um, just from what its messaging was. So it was really hard because it was, it kind of all boiled down to internalizing everything. And not only at that point, I couldn't even really talk about it with anyone. Um, but obviously to be able to voice that was just not even an option at that point. So it definitely turned into even more of an internal struggle than it was, you know, in high school. Wow, that weight on your shoulders must have been so heavy. It was. It was hard, too, because at the same time, you're focusing on being a good athlete, right? Like, yeah. like basketball wasn't as easy as it was in high school as when I got to college. Obviously, you go from, you know, um, you know basketball in Wisconsin at a Division II high school to I'm playing Division II NCAA basketball, which we were in a tough conference at that, at that point. It was the GLIAC conference, and I was trying to find myself on the court as well of how I fit into a team of, you know, 17, 18 guys and um, doing something that I love, but also just dealing with this massive thing that I knew wasn't going away. So trying to kind of navigate that in parallel with trying to kind of crush it on the court was, I, I would say probably to this day, my biggest struggle slash triumph in life was kind of navigating that and, and dealing with both of those at the same time. And I, th I think about the situation you just outlined. When I think about this past year and the uh, Division I NCAA tournament, Liberty University, which is a very conservative school in Virginia, had their mm -hmm. men's basketball team win again. They were 12 seed, and they beat five-seeded Mississippi State, I believe. Yeah. And Yeah, it was Mississippi State. Yeah, I think it was. And a lot of people really came out saying, this isn't a Cinderella team that I'm rooting for mostly due to the fact that the president of the school, Jerry Falwell, has made some controversial and, in my opinion, disgusting comments. But that being said, I don't think it's fair to root against the kids because many of them probably, first of all, don't share those views. Maybe they picked Liberty because it was the only Division I offer they had. Maybe it was because it was the closest school where their parents and friends could come see them play. Maybe it was because they really liked the coaching staff, who, by the way, also probably don't hold those views either. Yeah, what do you think, I think about that? I think people forget it's like it's a school, but it's also a business, right? So a, a lot of times, at least in my experience, even coming out to all of my teammates my senior year, um, they don't necessarily hold those same views. I mean, they go to the school like you're talking about for different reasons. 
Um, even, you know, someone in my position before I came out, if our school would have gotten to a certain level or a level of publicity, and they might have questioned everyone on our team not knowing, hey, you know, one of their team members is actually gay. Um, obviously, they don't hold that opinion as well. So I agree. I don't think they, you know, should have been taken out of any sort of Cinderella discussion. I'm sure that group of individuals, they, they can't really be represented in terms of what their views necessarily reflect. Um, the schools, and I'm kind of that first-hand account where if you were to ever ask me in college if I, you know, agreed to, you know, the name on my chest, if I agreed to everything they've ever said or adhered to publicly, that definitely wouldn't have been the case. So, um, you know, I was still rooting for them as, you know, an underdog, um, and I think everyone should have as well. Absolutely. So as you were talking about playing in college, you're trying to find yourself on the team, you're trying to find your identity, and eventually you did come out. Can you talk about the process of deciding to, like when it was the right time? Yeah, that's actually an interesting story because I actually came out, my family and my closest friends, whether they were back home or in college, actually my sophomore year. So this is like two years before I actually came out. And I tell people I kind of had a mini coming out where it was everyone who was necessary in my life, the people that really mattered, the people that I interacted with like truly every day. Um, but then I kind of had this dual life where I was out to the people, like my best friends from back home and my family. But it was a situation where I really just wanted to, in my mind, I kind of had a head down mentality, finish school, get your degree, and then you can be happy and address this and, 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 and figure out how you want to come out you know, on a greater scale. However, that struggle continues. It didn't go anywhere. It, it persisted. And it really only got worse to the point where I was entering my senior year of college thinking I haven't really even had a full college experience. Um, I, you know, um, haven't been able to out, be out and have fun and truly feel like myself um, this entire time um, at this school. And I got in touch, honestly, from a simple Google search search from, uh, with the group go athletes. Um, and this was the first time I'd ever heard of any sort of out athletes at any level. Um, they were a variety of either high school or college athletes on any level that happened to be openly gay on their teams. And I simply contacted one of them and through a series of events, they contacted me who connected me to out sports. And this group basically, you know, publishes online articles about, people in sport excelling despite adversity in their situations and, and, and them being out and proud athletes, whether professional, college, or high school. And I got this kind of idea in my head. And if anyone really knows me, if I get an idea in my head and I want to go for it, like nothing can stop me. A freight train could hit me and I'm still going to do it. <laughs> and um, that kind of happened with this article. I said to myself, look, Derek, like you have one year left of college. What do you have to lose? And you have so much to gain by writing this article. This article shows that you not only accept and love yourself, but you have the respect and understanding of your own situation to be able to, you know, positively maybe help someone else's situation if they feel like you did six years ago. So I wanted to write this coming out article for those who couldn't possibly write an article in their situations. And um, I decided to, before it was gonna be published, I individually came out to every coach and every person on my team. Um, How did that go? 
it was different with each of them. And I, it's so funny if I remember each of their interactions. Um, some I had liquid courage for. Some just <laughs> happened to be situational. I wanted to do it before our season officially started. So I did it all in the September of before my senior year started. And it was different with each of them. I mean, some of them were freshmen that had been on campus for a month that I had known for a month. And then some of them were, you know, 50 or seniors that I had spent four or five years with that we just had a different relationship with. Like I was either really close friends with them or they just knew me for so long and knew a different part of who I was on the court and off the court. So I wanted to do it individually. Um, a lot of the responses had similar themes. Um, one was just courage. A lot of them said that they, you know, were admiring the way that I had the courage to actually do this because they know how Hillsdale was and, and what an environment that was just as a college athlete. Um, some of them were very surprised and just said like, hey, you know, you, if you ever want to talk, you know, I know this isn't the easiest place to be. And then I will say, I fully admit about two to three of them were like, okay, finally, you told us. So maybe I wasn't so much of a, you know, secret keeper as I was, or, or as I thought I was. Um, but all of them very positive. They all said, this doesn't really change anything. Um, some of them even apologized if they ever used certain language in the locker room um, that they didn't realize they were using. And the overall message was just, this doesn't change anything. You're still Derek, and like, let's crush this season. So it was a huge weight to have even people that I was nervous to tell who maybe you know had used certain language or were more conservative in the past, conservative or religious, to, to have that reaction to kind of lessen that weight that I, that I entered college with. That's so fantastic to hear. Yeah, it was, it was a nice surprise. I was really nervous going into it. I thought, oh my gosh, like, you know, even conversations with internally with myself and with my family, I said, you know, what if this just goes horrible? What if they kick me out of school? And it actually happened with Hillsdale. I, I sought legal counsel to make sure that they couldn't actually, you know, expel me. Could they take wow. away my scholarship? There were a lot of measures taken before I did this. Um, and then with that reaction, it just made everything absolutely worth it. Originally, they didn't, you know, the school didn't want me to do the article. They didn't want to really be associated with it based on, you know, again, their values and, you know, their code of conduct and all that. But um, after doing it and after getting the, for the most part, majority overwhelmingly positive response, it just made like every struggle to, to get the article published com completely worth it. That's awesome. And I mean, when we were talking about when you were in high school, you were, you didn't want anyone to know. And then you get to college, you have a mini coming out, you tell your family, friends, later mm -hmm. you tell your teammates, and now you're telling the world. Yeah, it's pretty unbelievable because I even think back to how I talk about it with my family now. We talk about the past. We talk about, obviously, my future, you know, as an openly just LGBT person in this world. And it's just so funny to look at kind of what were our concerns, you know, watch, that's like six years ago now um, when I did the article to just think of the, the many wins and the progress that we've made, obviously not only as a society or as a country, but just to think of individually of where I came from and the things that kept me up at night, you know, way back when, are things that I am lucky enough to not even have to worry about now. And I was able to kind of get through the ebbs and flows, the trenches, the hard stuff to know that there were like 
you know, lighter days ahead um, to know that just getting through that, um, you know, I was able to kind of have a life that I deserved. And a lot of people aren't able to kind of get through that mud. Um, mine just happened to be really conservative mud that I needed to kind of work through and learn from um, to kind of get to where I am today. I really admire your courage, Derek. And I'm glad you got through that mud because you deserve the best life possible. You were a trailblazer. Did you know when you wrote that article that you'd be the first Division II basketball player to publicly come out? I actually didn't know that I was going to be until I was working with actually one of the owners of Outsports um, who was working me through kind of the process and said kind of like, you know, this is going to be a huge deal, right? And I, I guess I didn't really even understand that it was going to be because I had met all these amazing athletes from different schools and been connected to, you know, swimmers and volleyball players and, you know, um, track athletes, whatever the case may be. And I guess I just didn't put it together or really feel the impact that like basketball is different, a different kind of ground. There's, I think there's like this natural, um, macho manly, um, not homophobic, but, um, just a different kind of state in the, in that sport. Um, and I didn't really realize the impact it was going to make until the 48 hours following when the article came out, which life became kind of crazy then. And then I really realized like, wow, this is, this is going to be a thing that, that I kind of gladly and, and honorably deal with, um, and kind of work towards. And it could be something that really affects my life in a really positive way. That's great. And so as you're saying the 48 hours, I'm assuming you got a lot of emails and calls (laughs) Were most of them positive. Yeah, so I always have told people I have this weird stat of within 48 hours, I got over 4,000 Facebook messages or emails from people um, just reaching out. They had included my email at the bottom of the article, which I'm so glad they did. And the most amazing part of it, yes, it was overwhelmingly positive. I think I maybe got three or four negative responses. Um my my goal was, which I exceeded in doing, was um, I responded to every single message. And, I, and just reading through these took up a lot of my spare time within that month afterwards. But the responses were so amazing because it ranged from, like, a 14-year-old in Nebraska who really just prefers, you know, volleyball and doesn't want to tell his dad and is struggling to come out in his friend group all the way to a 63-year-old man in upstate New York who uh, is struggling to tell his younger siblings, um, you know, he's lived alone his whole life, that he's been carrying this secret for, you know, over 50 years. And the response was just unbelievable in the sense that it made you feel so connected to people and realize that, like, when I was about to do this, me thinking, okay, even if I'm out on this island alone, at least I can let people know that, you know, you can succeed despite adversity. But I realized just how not alone I was and all these people from varying backgrounds, races, sports, ages, were able to say, hey, you know, what you touched on in your article, that was a lot what I went through. Or, you know, that's like me. I actually feel like the amount of times people said, I feel like I wrote this was probably the best compliment because it just made me feel like, wow, this is such a shared experience. And I am more than willing to kind of work through some of these coming out stories and these tricky situations with people's families or navigating a religious conversation. And I was just so proud and honored to be the one to be on the receiving end of those emails. Um, And it's already, you know, I still talk to some of those people today. So 
the response was well worth three or four negative messages to get the, you know, trickle down effect to what it's done to my entire life since then. And I'm not surprised you got so many positive responses uh, because it was, like I said before, it was beautifully written and I'm going to post the link uh, in the podcast notes. But my favorite quote from that article, sometimes the darkest times in life are only doorways to the best moments of your life. Yeah, I kind of love that quote. And it's funny that that one stayed with me pretty heavily because I think what I've learned maybe more so in my adult days after writing that article is there's going to be a lot harder things than just loving yourself um, and and coming out to your family that are going to hit you, right? I mean, adult things happen. People get cancer. um, You know, people get laid off. You're dealing with serious health issues or, you know, conflicts. And, um, you know, all you got to do is hold on and have hope and, and know that you are going to be okay. You have to not push away the people that love you. You have to lean into it and trust them. Um, and keep believing in yourself to have that hope every day. And I think I kind of willed that quote into believing it was true. I think maybe at the time, even when I wrote that, I was like, I know this is a, this is definitely a valley, but I'm going to get to a peak and I can't get to that peak unless I go through the valley. And sometimes when you're in the midst of either confrontation or conflict or maybe a tough part in your life, it's really hard for someone to tell you that, right? It's hard for them to say, just hold on. Like, it's going to get better. But life is full of ebbs and flows. But the biggest thing that's going to help you through those struggles is maintaining that hope that there is going to be a better day. And I think through that whole experience, there were tough times dealing with the administration or dealing with kind of the, the, the minimal backlash or just insecurity about the whole thing, being labeled this trailblazer that I knew that the best days were ahead and I couldn't get to those unless I went through this, um, you know, fully, fully learning this experience. So I'm so glad that I did. And I, I think that quote is kind of, you know, embedded in how I live today. It's great. And it's a quote I still remember. That's amazing. I, even hearing that just puts a smile on my face because if I can, you know, I, even before I did the article, if I could just affect one person, I would say it was worth it. And even to be sitting here doing this, it's kind of surreal that, you know, it was something that not only someone remembers, but they can take it with them and help them through a tough time, then I'm all for it. I'm probably not the first one to have said it. I'm sorry if I'm copywriting someone else or I, I, I paraphrase the words, but at some point in my life, I heard it and it's it's been super impactful. So thank you to whoever said it first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I didn't go through the same thing that you went through, but a few years ago, I went through a time that I, I was having a really hard time, and I look at my life today, and it's so much better. It's almost like, why was I so upset back then? This Where I am now is so much better, but I ha- did have to get through that dark time to get to here. Yeah, and perception is reality, too. So whatever your circumstances were at the time, I mean, that was your life. That was not exactly. only what your surrounding circumstances or maybe environment were, but that's who you were at that time. You had those fears, you had those um, friendships, whether familial or, you know, those relationships with people that mattered to you. And, and I think someone who's going through the coming out experience, it's, it's very easy to look back and say, you know, what, what was I thinking or what was I worried about? But at that time, all those feelings were real and they're real for a lot of other people. And we can't dismiss any one 
person's coming out story as either easy or not easy or harder than any of the others. We have a very shared experience with each other. But I think just talking about the stories and saying, oh, did you feel that? Or, you know, what were you thinking when you actually came out? Or when's the first time you said those words? Talking about all those is, is, is the reason that we come to the, the progress that we've made today in the world. And especially in the world of athletics, I think talking about it with even our straight allies and, and people who didn't go through the experience is even more vital because it just allows that awareness and visibility is so, so, so important. So I think that's, that's amazing that even you could get through that. And I, I commend you for doing that. It's amazing to see someone just kind of finding their truth their happiness. Absolutely. About a year after you came out, Derek Gordon came out as the first openly gay Division I basketball player. Not much was made of this, but he really crushed the stereotype that a gay player could be a distraction in the locker room. Gordon played for Seton Hall in 2016 when they won the Big East tournament and made the NCAA tournament. Hillsdale in your senior year went 18-9. and So clearly in those two examples I gave, very successful teams... Obviously, there is an abstraction. Yeah, it's funny. I always joke with people that, like, it was my best year yet. I didn't have, <laughs> I played so light. I mean, granted, it was more fun. I was able to be more, like, when you are more yourself, there are so many less barriers to you doing what you love best and what you're best at. And I think that goes for any level, not just sports, but even in the professional world, too, of just anyone, whether they're a student or a teacher or, a, you know, a working adult, but especially in sports, it just removes this limitation, honestly, mentally, but even physically for you to feel that weight and that heaviness. And I know, I mean, I know Derek personally, um, you know, people mix up the spellings of our first names all the time. Um <laughs> But especially in the case with Derek and I, I think we were able to not only as a team just say like, hey, this isn't a thing. Like, we got you, buddy. Let's go. Let's do what we're focused on as a unit. But I think individually, it just opens you up to this level of I can do anything if I was able to do this. And that can translate to the court as well. Derek was able to have an amazing senior season or his last season where they really exceeded expectations in the NCAA tournament. And even my team was able to, I mean, I started every game of my senior year. I was able to have the best year I did. And there is no way that those do not have a direct correlation on one another of completely being yourself and being happy as part of that equation, but being able to be your truest self in every practice, every drill, and every game, no longer having this burden of worrying about someone finding it out. It just allows you to kind of you know, uh, you know, sprout wings and just kind of be yourself as a player and a person. Absolutely. And what you're saying really aligns with the U.S. women's basketball and soccer team. They have several openly gay athletes on both teams, and they're the best at the sport, at both sports in the world. It's, it's funny when people don't look at that as an example um, of just what it can be, because the women's soccer team and even the basketball league, even the WNBA in general, I mean, there's just a level of overall support, not only from, you know, the LGBT uh, players, but just their allies in general, to where it's not even part of the equation anymore. It's been discussed. It's been addressed with love and support. And for that reason, you look at all of these incredible women who are openly gay, 
loving and playing and crushing their sports. Um, and it's hard to find a person that would be able to argue about how those are not correlated to the success of those individual teams. And the Women's World Cup is coming up in a few weeks in France, and the U.S. recently released their roster. And two of the players uh, announced a few months ago that they were engaged to each other, and I was happy to see that both made it, that that wasn't going to be an issue. Yeah, it's not an issue, and it's not something, again, that hinders performance. It helps it. I mean, those, no, those two are able to openly love and openly be themselves, and it's, it's not really a thing that's ever discussed. They come to work just like any other you know, American person would do and do their job and do it well because they can bring their full selves to work. Um, and there's a bunch of people in the WNBA that do it too. And, and they're some of the top performers. Um, so it's a great example of just how being yourself can really you know, equate to performance too. Yeah, and the, the example I gave, um, Allie Krieger and Ashlyn Harris, were also both on the 2015 World Cup team that won. So they've been through it before and they won. Yeah, I mean, it's shown time and time again through numerous examples of what it can do. I just think it's going to take, uh, specifically on the men's side of professional sports, unfortunately, a really big wig name of someone being an openly gay athlete in one of the major sports. Um, I think we will get there, but I think someone in the realm of either baseball, football, or basketball to be able to kind of be that trailblazer in the professional league as an active player will be, be absolutely huge in terms of changing people's minds. I, there's been so many players that you've probably noticed straight players who come out and say, I would have no problem having a gay teammate. It's not going to make a big deal. They're still my teammate or people that know that they've had teammates in the past who have been part of the LGBTQ community that they say, you know, that's great. We always knew it was no big deal. It's just that the fan base doesn't know. And I think that once it happens, people will know, that it's just like every other story that they've ever heard, that their performance on the field won't change. And I'll be completely honest that I'm really hoping that that day is sooner than later. I'm with you. I hope so, too. Because you know they're out there. They're out there, and it's funny when you're part of this community, and I think you know you can relate of being kind of in this uh, a little bit of a, a, a bubble of a mini LGBTQ sports community. It's small, right? It's relatively small, but it's also huge. And those names and those people, um, you know, they're supported um, and they will be supported not only from us as, as part of this family, but also they're going to be loved by all people. Um, it, it, it's truly not an issue. And I think everyone is just really looking forward to that day, um, you know, where it's not even a part of the conversation. But the good news is, is right now we have to be the ones to, to continue talking about it so that, you know, when that day comes, it's. It's not a thing. We're all ready. We're ready for it. So do you think once that major athlete does come out, after that, it won't be news anymore? I think it's, it's not that it won't be news. It'll be huge news. I think what you'll see is what I did as a kid was I looked for examples, right? I looked for role models. I said, is there anyone out there like me? If you have a kid who, let's say in a year, someone in the three major sports comes out and they are an avid follower, lover of that sport, and one of their favorite players came out and is openly loving someone of the same sex, proudly and still excelling in their sport, that's, that's the example, right? There's your role model. There's someone to say, they're doing it. Why can't I? And it's not to say other people in the league will immediately follow suit. 
but it will become normalized, um, you know, top down. And again, go back to this example, you look at modern day politics, it's top down the way behaviors and acceptances and standards are kind of followed. So once that happens, I think you'll see across the board, it no longer be this taboo thing that either doesn't exist or we can't talk about. It'll just be another topic of sports or it won't even be something to be discussed. It'll just be another part of their personality um, and, and something else that just makes them a wonderful player. Yeah, I can't wait till that day, honestly. It's so exciting to think of when it's going to happen. It's exhausting to think of that it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> but like you said, it's like baby steps. Like one person does it at one level and it just starts this momentum. It's going to happen one day. It's just laying that foundation for that environment to be ready for it. Um, and I think people, I think we're closer than we think. I agree. I also think overall, um, not just athletes, but in general, I think I think children are becoming more exposed to gay people. They're becoming more accepting at a younger age. Just if you do you agree with that actually? Yeah, I totally do, but I, it's like these little microcosm examples of just visibility is the biggest thing you can do. So anyone who's openly loving and living and is not hiding that fact about them, maybe it's not the number one thing they do when they introduce people to themselves. But it's just another part of their wonderful personality that will show. Like Ashlyn Harris and um, Ali Krieger loving each other openly and being amazing soccer player and also happen to be married will show little girls everywhere that they are able to do that. So I think just at the at the at the microcosm level, these mini examples will create this environment where it's like, let's do this, let's have this major person, you know, have have it happen visibility in sports you're talking about but also in general like for example just a few weeks ago the children's show arthur had the teacher marry another man um i used to watch arthur when i was younger that didn't happen um a little girl that i used to babysit for she would watch the show modern family Mm -hmm. which has had a gay couple on it the entirety of the series and she would just accept it and say oh those two men love each other and they have a daughter she didn't even question it and I'm around the same age as you, and we didn't grow up with that. There were not a lot of gay people, gay characters on TV in movies. Now yeah, there are. You, that's why it's difficult to talk about the, the idea of, of gay people in sport, because I think it's just more taboo or less examples in that realm. But I think of it in the sense of, like the tiniest example of like Ellen DeGeneres being on TV. Ellen at one time was kicked off her own show for being gay. Now you have so many examples of these people who are not only just unequivocally, unapologetically themselves, but they are excelling in any field that they are in, whether it's in the professional world, whether it's in the sports world, whether they're in high school, it doesn't really matter. They're just showing by example and like Ellen is the, the obviously the typical like the 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 stereotypical example that we think of, but was once kicked off a show that is one of the most successful LGBTQ people that we can possibly see today. So I think any of these examples um, will slowly become normalized. And again, this used to be a topic that no one talked about. So mm-hmm. the main level of uncomfortability, I would say, in my opinion, is an older generation. 
Um, and I For think sure. as you see, you know, the little girl you babysit or, um, you know, maybe some of my younger cousins, for example, you to them, it's not a thing, you know, and if it is, it's such a small group of people that as these behaviors and as these, you know, people are getting married and excelling in their fields, you know, start to, to, to continue to happen, that, that idea of thinking or the idea that it's not, um, you know, just another, you know, person you're married to or another way you love or another way of expressing love, I think will just kind of start to slowly die out. So old opinions that used to happen 40, 50 years ago, like any example, I think those will just slowly die out and we'll see this momentum continue to where, like we were talking about with coming out, maybe you and I look back in 10 years and say, can you believe we were talking about that there were no openly gay you know, athletes in the major three division sports? And I really hope that day comes. Yeah, absolutely. And we're, we're getting there. But look no further than the vice president of the United States who believes in conversion therapy, which is another term for torture, in my opinion. Um, So obviously we still have a ways to go. Yeah, and it's unfortunate that that's kind of the biggest example that I can think of today, unfortunately, is in politics where, you know, the people in power, you have great responsibility with that power. And what you say and what you do matters. Um, I obviously was very affected by, and still am, to this of this administration, mainly because I believe that your words matter and your actions of what you show is important and valuable as a human being are very important, uh, are very valuable, and and they actually matter, and people are listening. So I think the main thing is having examples of leaders who are not afraid to speak up for the people that do not have a voice. And unfortunately, in this instance, we have, you know, a vice president who is going to be um, a coward in his opinions, um, not based off facts, using very dangerous, not only practices, but words to actually target a group of human beings, um, mainly because he's probably not directly personally affected um, in any way or touched by our actual community, which is full of, ironically, um, love and acceptance, and he's doing the exact opposite. So I think it's just a small example, um, but on a large scale of everyone always looks to the top of how to act, how to be a role model. And in this case, it's a really dangerous situation to give someone, you know, sound bites and airwaves and, you know, quotes and articles that believes in something, you know, as negative as that. And all I can say to that, Derek, is 2020 is coming. 2020 is coming. I'll just say this, everyone. It is a blue wave coming. Everyone knows there is a, a, a lesser of two evils. I don't really care what your opi- uh, political opinion is. You know, I'm, I went to, I grew up conservative and went to the most conservative college in the nation, and now I live in the middle of New York City. I get <laughs> being in a bubble, whether it's red or blue, but what you need to do is realize that our country, not only from climate to healthcare to how we actually are viewed in the entire world as a nation are kind of at stake. So I would just say, think about that as you vote. And that is my two cents as your Senator Shell, um, that I think that everyone should think twice about that. And if you want to have a political discussion, I am more than willing to, to be here. You guys know my email address. <laughs> <laughs> I'd vote for you. Oh, I appreciate it. I don't know if I'd get the votes, but um, maybe we start a campaign, see how I do. Senator Shell. It sounds, it sounds good. It's got a good ring to it. Yeah, we'll see. Rolls off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> so your relationship with Hillsdale now, I'd probably describe it as tepid at best. 
You've spoken out a few times since you graduated, once because you received uh, what was a campus-wide email from your chaplain about praying that same-sex marriage would be destroyed. That was before, ultimately, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of uh, the legalization of same-sex marriage. And once more recently, when Mike Pence was speaking at graduation. So what are your feelings today on Hillsdale? Do you regret going there? Yeah, it's funny. Big mouth gets me in trouble sometimes, or what I put on my Instagram. <laughs> no, but you have every like reason to no, feel that way. You have no, every reason absolutely. to speak out. I don't have any regrets about anything that I've ever said or um, going to the school. I tell people I have a very, very um, broad and developed worldview now because of Hillsdale. Um, I think, uh, you know, God and my parents and everyone every day that I went to Hillsdale, it's just a matter of, do I believe in anything Hillsdale does? No. I still have a great relationship with my um, my former head coach. He was my head coach for all four years. And I still talk to, you know, a, a handful of my teammates. It's just I do not associate with the school anymore, um, you know, based on what I, – I, I just think it's a dangerous slope to, to go down. They are a, a, a – I'm always willing to meet someone in middle ground if they're willing to open the door and have the conversation but they aren't willing to do that. Um, and I think it's a dangerous place because when I think of if I were to tell my 16-year-old self, maybe 17-year-old self, um, what I know now, I might have thought of a different place or had a different college experience. I do not regret going there in any way. I'm so glad I did. Um, but I just think at this point, um, you know, there's a lot that they need to think of their place in the world and again, kind of what I you know, went back to about our vice president, but your words matter, um, what you say matters, how you act matters. Um, and I think just all people need to be included in that equation, not just who really fits into you know, your narrative. Derek, thank you so much for speaking your mind on all of these topics. You're a great role model for the LGBT community. Your story and your voice matter. But now I'd like to touch on some more fun things. Are you into that? I'm into that. Let's dive into the fun. Life's too short. <laughs> so you are recently off the market. Oh, you got yeah. got engaged. This, Can you tell us about your engagement and fiance? This guy is taken. It's crazy. If you would have told me that um, a year ago, my fiance and I actually know each other less than a year. Um, oh, my God. Wow. I guess met, it's true. When you know, you know. When you know, you know. We actually met on the side of the street in the fall of 2018. Um, kind of... Uh, Locked Eyes, his name's Ryan, um, and Locked Eyes, we happened to have previously matched on a dating app, so I had a way of, of contacting him, and I thought I recognized him when I saw him on the side of the street, um, <laughs> and I went back to this app, and I contacted him, I was like, I hope this is you, um, and our first date was four days later, um, wow. and it definitely that's such was... a millennial story, by the way, millennial dating story. Oh my gosh, I tell all my friends this, and they're like, screw you, this is like, this is the picture-perfect story, and you know, we were lucky enough to have obviously used technology to have been able to contact each other because we say it's like the movie serendipity, but like way less cool and way more futuristic. Um, so yeah, uh, he's amazing. He's actually from Pittsburgh and we have this beautiful kind of balance of, um, he keeps me very young, even though he's older than me. Um, I tend to be a little bit more type a and, um, he definitely, we have so much fun. We align on kind of every value that you could possibly align on. We have such different, but rich backgrounds, and we really came together at the perfect time. And 
it definitely was a when you know you know situation we actually called each other after our first date that was supposed to be like an hour and it lasted seven hours and oh we we called each other at we we each called each other's well i called my mom and he called his mom after our first date and basically both of us said i just met my husband and Aww. look at that look at that now and now we're planning a wedding so um it's amazing i'm so excited for ryan to be part of you know my family you learn a lot through coming out and and kind of i've learned so many things from being an athlete and from coming out and from my life but i think the biggest one is just the lesson of love and the peaks and valleys and ebbs and flows of that and he's the perfect example of you know those dark days where you're uh, alone watching Netflix and, you know, downing that tub of Ben and Jerry's. Um, things will get better. Hold on to hope. And you never know. Um, we, were, we were unknowingly living three blocks from one another. So your, uh, your Prince Charming or your princess could be, could be right around the corner. Wow, that's that's a great story. And you mentioned you both calling your moms. There was a picture of both your moms. I don't know if it was on your Instagram or... Ryan's, yeah. That picture has literally gone, like, it, it's been more popular than the pictures of actually us getting engaged. I'm pretty sure so many people have been reaching out being like, you're moms. They actually met that day that we were getting engaged. I organized this big thing in Central Park. Um, kind of one of our favorite spots in the city, my favorite bridge. And they met that morning and they took this picture. My photographer took this picture of them running towards us just in like what can only be described as the definition of joy uh, oh, for both it's of us. It's an amazing just picture. Being so excited to, to see us and hug us. And it was so funny because Ryan's mom came and hugged me and my mom came and hugged Ryan. So oh, like, that's the sweetest welcoming to the family um and both of them couldn't be more supportive and truly annoyingly ready to plan this wedding so um everyone do not envy me planning a wedding is not fun so enjoy your engagement if you are engaged um because it can be a, can be a tough road but yeah they couldn't be happy for us and that picture is is speaks a thousand words that's great are you thinking about having a city wedding or a destination? We all we each have some family in Florida, so I think it's going to be a little bit of a beachy thing. Um, mm. Maybe when uh, my sister doesn't actually live in the States during the summer, so when she's back in the summer, maybe next year, um, maybe a summer wedding where we, have, we each have some family there, and it'll be an easy place for everyone to kind of come and enjoy a weekend. So that's the tentative plan right now. Great. One of my brothers got married in Florida, actually. There you go. Yeah, I'm I'm a little worried because uh, we have some sweaters in the family, so summer <laughs> in Florida won't be too great. But hey, maybe we wear linen or something or keep it light, but it'll be a night of uh, dancing the night away and definitely happiness. So That's great. I'm so happy for you. And can you imagine when you were in high school struggling to accept yourself, you probably couldn't imagine being where you are right now, happily engaged to another man, talking on a podcast about it. You put the pictures up on Instagram. Yeah, it's funny. It's definitely been baby steps. I mean, telling one person in college, telling a few people to posting a picture of me and my boyfriend for the first time at the time. And it's funny, I like do this often, but I write letters to pass me. So I'll write a letter to five-year-old Derek or I'll write a letter to myself in college. And the main message is just, just be yourself. Like, just be you. There is nothing bad that is going to happen. Only the greatest things that are coming to you in your life, other than that state championship, which happened <laughs> happened before, um, but all of these amazing things that are coming to you and all of these amazing friendships and connections and opportunities and 
let's just be honest, happiness is only going to come if you are yourself. And I would say if there's like one underlying takeaway to, you know, how'd you get from there, you know, that dark, that dark valley to, to now, it is just a long struggle with accepting that this is who I am. I was gracefully made this way. I was made this way for a reason. I am this like weirdo who'd rather like stay in and sing show tunes and go to a crowded bar. But I also happen to love sports and I'm really competitive and I love organizing things and everything about me is the way it's supposed to. And one of those pieces of the puzzle just happens to be that I am a gay man. So I am so excited and, and thankful to to pass me for, for holding on and, and, and trusting myself that it was all going to work out the way it should. The phrase, it gets better, is true, isn't it? Yeah, it's been kind of a cliche saying that I think people write off, but it's truly the the root of that that sentiment of it gets better is a a kind of a caveat of if you believe it will. So a lot of the thing, you you need to have hope, right? If anyone's in a dark Mm -hmm. place, whether it's a small microcosmic situation or this larger situation of accepting who you are and who you're attracted to and what your life is going to look like, um, I think it's if you hold on to that hope, if you love yourself enough to give yourself, this sounds funny, give yourself the future that you deserve, then it will get better. But to have that first love for yourself and respect for yourself to know that better days are coming, then yeah, it absolutely does get better. Absolutely. And I hope anyone that's listening out there that is struggling, like Derek said, hang on to hope because better days are coming. So you're from Wisconsin. Have you been to Lambeau Field? Oh my gosh, it's like heaven. People don't understand. I talk about Lambeau Field with my like East Coast friends, and they're like, "What? What do you What do you mean? It's like a stadium?" I'm like, "It's not just a stadium. It's Lambeau freaking Field." <laughs> so I am lucky enough that I went to a few games as a kid. My dad's a hardcore Green Bay Packers fan, so um, that is definitely sacred land for me. And I try to make it out to one game per year if I'm lucky, but I'm hoping to get back there in the fall. Do you go when it's super cold out? So my family has this thing where my mom is cold all the time. So she refuses to go to games past like the middle of October. So I haven't been to a really cold game since I was a kid. Um, but I would love to you see some kind of crazy things from people and, and, you know, not wearing shirts or crazy things like that in the middle of winter. You really don't experience Lambeau Field until you go to a game when it's like below zero. That's what my boyfriend wants to do. He Lambeau Field is on both our sports buckets list. Yeah. And I was like, I'll go in September. I said, no, you got to go when it's December and it's like below zero. I'm, I'm like, not, no, I'm not, I'll watch it on TV. I'm not telling you that it won't hurt, but it'll be worth it because you'll be cold. Oh, but hey, throw some, throw some hats and some warmers on. And um, it's truly a once in a lifetime experience. I mean, that's bias coming from a person who grew up in Wisconsin. But I think anyone who is listening to this who's from Wisconsin or is kind of my fam or friends can back me up that, you know, you got to do it at least once. All right. I'll take your word for it. All right. All right. So how did you become such a big fan of Duke men's basketball? Oh my gosh. So my dad jokes that it's because I naturally disagree with everything he says or every opinion. Is he a Carolina fan? He is a hardcore North Carolina Tar Heels fan. He was a Dean Smith fan, like back when he was the coach. So naturally, when I was growing up, I started being like, oh, obviously, I'm going to root for the other team. And every time they were playing Duke, he was so into it. And then I truly started falling in love with kind of those Duke classic players, like 
Battier and JJ Redick is still one of my favorite players. And now obviously with the kind of new era of, you know, Kyrie Irving and those guys. So I've always naturally had this just beautiful rivalry with my dad. So I don't think that will ever change. Like Mike Krzyzewski <laughs> is pretty much God at this point in my mind. So we have some nice battles about, you know, that natural rivalry and how many points does each team have? But I think that's was that's where it was born was just naturally, you know, dad's a UNC fan. So why not go to the, go to the other side? <laughs> have you been to Cameron? I actually have. I believe it was seventh grade. Uh, my club AAU team uh, from Wisconsin had a tournament in Durham, and we were able to wow. play one of our games on Cameron Indoor or in Cameron Indoor, and then one That's game incredible. in in in, uh, in North Carolina's um, uh, in, in Chapel Hill. So wow. it was so funny to see just like obviously I don't know how many you know Chapel Hill is like forty thousand or something, and then going into Cameron, which seats like six thousand people, but. It was truly like I had arrived. It was like, this is it. If I go tomorrow, I have made it. I have reached what I've always wanted to go. Taking my picture by a life-size J.J. Redick, I had made it. So I am. that's a definite bucket list item that I have, that I have checked off. That's awesome. I plan to get there someday soon, hopefully in the next few years. I, I wouldn't call myself a Duke or Carolina fan, but I have a lot of respect for both programs. So I'd love to be able to see a Duke game in Cameron. And if the schedule lines up, a Carolina game in Carolina, like that same week. That would be ideal. My dad just retired from coaching this past year. And on our next year's list is to go to either Cameron um, or to go down to Chapel Hill and see a Duke, North Carolina game. Because I think that would just be like the most beautiful summation of the last, you know, 30 years of bitching at one another (laughs) to be able to sit there and love one another, but still cheer for our teams. Um, So I think that's going to be definitely next on my bucket list. That's awesome. My uncle has been to several Duke Carolina games and my dad got to go to one. I'm still waiting for my invite. Yeah. I still get on all the time. Hey, I'm telling you, put that to the top of your bucket list because I don't think there's many better rivalries in sports. No. And good thing you and your dad didn't decide to go this year. Good thing he was still coaching because with your luck, you would have spent $2,000 because of the Zion matchup and he would have gone down in the first five seconds. You would have, you would have died watching our texting conversation during that game. Say, (laughs) Oh, Zion is soft and, and us going back and forth. It was hysterical, but yeah, we, we didn't get the good end of the stick this year. Um, but I'm excited for them moving forward and to kind of see what these last year's last year's freshmen do in the in the NBA this upcoming year. Yeah, and they always reload. Oh, every top year, class again. Every year, yeah. And then more excuses come from my dad, and then we recycle and do the same thing. It, it's it's the oldest story in the book. North Carolina <laughs> fans always have an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> well, real quick, with still talking about Duke yeah. in 2015, they beat Wisconsin in the title game. How did yeah. you feel about that? That was the weirdest game for me because I went into the title game being like, I am totally fine with either outcome. That was probably my favorite Duke game. Duke well, that's team. the best way to be. Like Justice Winslow and Tyus Jones and um, Joel Okafor. But on the other side was like a couple guys from Wisconsin that I either played with in travel basketball or against in high school that grew up in Wisconsin. So it was like, well, I can't root against them. So it was this weird thing where I was watching the game and probably people thought I was crazy because I was cheering every time a basket was scored and they probably (laughs) thought I was confused or like didn't know basketball or something. But that was one of my favorite memories was, was watching that game and just being 
Like the everything else from here is just icing on the cake. What a what an amazing national championship game. That was a good game. So I saw on your Instagram you've been to Greece several times in the past few years. I have. So I said earlier, um, my family actually all played college basketball. My sister met her current husband playing. They both played at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee back in Wisconsin. And my brother-in-law was lucky enough to continue playing professionally. So I think he's been in, I'll quote this wrong, sorry, Tony, but been in six countries in eight years or something crazy like that. Um, Many different ones, Australia, Poland, Portugal, Czech Republic. And he's actually been in Greece the last two years. Um, so I went to Greece first originally with my basketball team in college on a, you know, like a summer tour, played a bunch of games there against pro teams. And then when Tony, my brother-in-law started playing there, I went and visited every year. So I've been able to go kind of three or four times in the last two years to go out there and visit them and kind of watch him play. So they're kind of still living the dream, still a basketball family living strong. (laughs) Wow. I, Santorini and Mykonos are in my bucket list. Have you been there? This is like amazing. We're living each other's bucket list. So you have to go. So Mykonos, <laughs> I went the first time that I went with my team. We had way too much fun. If any of you are listening, which they probably aren't. And Lindsay Lohan's beach club Lindsay still wasn't Lohan's there yet. Beach club you missed wasn't it. there yet. We totally missed it. And now <laughs> I actually went on a beautiful three day finish to the trip with my now fiance to Santorini and Easily the most beautiful place I've ever seen. I'm sure other people would have, you know, uh, contradictions to that. But it was so beautiful. The people are so nice. The food is amazing. So anyone listening, a honeymoon recommendation or just a random trip, go to Santorini. Beautiful time. And I couldn't have asked for a better trip to be able to see my sister and brother-in-law and my niece and then to just spend time in just such a beautiful country. I'm jealous. I'll have to get myself there. So you and I both share a love for the show One Tree Hill. Uh, Can you tell me how you got into that? Okay, so this story is basically one night. My sister was home. We obviously used to live in the same house when we were in high school. And she pulled me into her room, and she's like, Derek, I found this show on, I don't even know what it was on, or she watched the season. CW. Or if it was, yeah. So she's like, I found this show. And I was like, whatever. Like, it's probably stupid and, like, rom com and, like, whatever. <laughs> And she's like, no, just like, seriously. And we were like best friends. So she's like, just trust me. Just watch one episode with me. I was like, okay. I'm telling you, when you say hooked, it was like the definition of hooked. I'm like, not only is there drama, I live for it. Let's do this. (laughs) But is there basketball? There's like, I mean, come on. The characters in that show, you have Sophia Bush. You have Chad Michael Murray. Oh my gosh. You have James Lafferty. I was like, I was so hooked on that show to where I like, if anyone wants to talk about one tree Hill or like morning, uncle Keith, sorry, spoilers, Uh, everyone, but like was the best show to grow up on. Obviously I'm a huge friends fan and Glee fan, but I remember that show specifically for the basketball element just took an aspect for me where I was like, this is high school. Like this is my high school experience. So (laughs) I love that. That show will always have a special place in my heart for sure. Do you want to hear my story? Oh, I would love to hear it. Okay. So I knew what it was when season one and two were out. I okay. think I was in middle school. Yeah. But I was very loyal to Degrassi. That was my show. Okay, okay. So freshman year of high school, I'm at my house. I have to go downstairs to print uh, to print a paper for school the next day. Okay. And it, I'm telling you, it was fate because the TV was on. No one was down there. I guess my mom had maybe, I 
don't even know. I guess my mom had been ironing, and she doesn't watch One Tree Hill. Sure. But I guess maybe whatever show was on before it, she was just tuning in and out of. So I'm printing out my paper, and the promo for the episode that's coming up was very dramatic. It was uh, the school shooting episode, <gasps> which, by the way, couldn't be aired today. No. They could not do that. That would have been so triggering. They couldn't have done that. And I mean, Glee got in a lot of trouble when they did theirs. So you just saw it. You came downstairs and you were like, oh, my gosh, I need to watch this. Yeah, I was like, "Okay, cool. I'll check it out while I'm printing out these papers. And then I just kept watching it. It It was it was riveting. And I didn't know any of the characters. So then the next day at school, one of my friends had seasons one and two on DVD. So I was like, hey, can I borrow that? Yeah, and spring break was coming up. And hey, can I, I my spent my whole spring break, break in my bed? Yeah, that's pretty much exactly what happened. Probably, I remember like I think I've watched it three times through, which makes me sound like such a loser. But no, 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 I, I've done it at least three. Like it's so good and relatable, and then you fall in love with these characters to where, a, like, it, honestly, the first time you and I hang out, I'll be like, "Oh my gosh, are you Team Peyton? Are you like, are you Team Brooke? Like, who are you?" And again, makes me sound like such a loser, and makes me feel like probably 49 years old because people in high school now probably don't even know one Tree Hill. like there's no good shows like that anymore for like high school kids i know it's riverdale now and i'm not a fan yeah no i feel like i'm just too loyal it's like don't try to recreate something just watch one tree hill again like you have ne- it used to be on netflix but it's not i know there. i have hulu though it's on hulu we'll start a petition we'll, we'll get it yes a- yeah i was so upset do you have hulu uh, I don't have Hulu. I, have, I will like, let you go on my Hulu account to watch One Tree Hill. All right. So that's the definition of becoming a best friend. That yes, is, I think it's meant to be. That's true love, sharing a password. That is like this millennial's way of really showing someone you care, <laughs> giving someone their password to Hulu. <laughs> what was your favorite season? Oh, I got to say it was hard once they weren't in high school anymore. I, I agree. It hard. It was hard to fall in love with new characters when you were already so attached. Like I think when, Oh gosh, I'm going to spoiler. Sorry guys. If you're planning to watch the show, spoiler you alert, spoiler alert. But like once Peyton and Lucas left, it was just not the same show. It just wasn't, it tried to be, I think it was like their senior year of high school when like, Stuff was getting real, like Haley was off touring, then you had Nathan trying to make it to college. Basically that whole thing where they were like really making some horrible life decisions in high school <laughs> and I was living for all of it was probably then. Because then, you know, when you're watching it, the rest of the stuff, it, some of it became a little bit stretch, stretchy, but some of those high school stories were like really relatable to like drama or just silly stuff that you you truly do deal with on a daily basis in in high school with kind of just immaturity and just things that are happening in in real life scenarios at school so that's kind of how I appreciated it at the time for sure seasons three and four were my favorite I hated seven and eight that was after uh, Lucas and Peyton left I hated Jamie I'm sorry he was cute when he was little, but he had way too much storyline. Way too much storyline. And, and like, all his little friends and everything. Like it uh, just they're the worst. And it just really needed to end. And, like, sometimes it got a little bit stretchy towards the end where I was like, okay, let's wrap this up. So I totally yeah. agree. I, I do think they brought it, though, for season nine, they the did, last season. They did bring it. And I, I just loved, I was, my sister and I always joke, we're like, wow, why can't we just be, like, 
a professional athlete or a fashion mogul or a world-renowned author or like At all 22, these 22 <laughs> by the way they achieved this by 22 or this like rock star like touring the world let's just make <laughs> my own record label like i just love it i just was like hey this show will teach you how to dream big if not anything else so hey why not uh i one more quick story Absolutely. this past new year's eve i was you know a little bit drunk okay and i quoted because I used to do this. I don't know why. I'm such a nerd. No. It's... The episode before Psycho Derek came back, who is, uh, by the way, terrifying. Terrifying. When Peyton and Brooke were fighting on Peyton's lawn, I used to be able to quote their fight. Oh, my gosh. You're just nerding So I did it on New Year's Eve. Now. That's so good. I, it's, it's so funny that you mentioned that because for a while, my sister would joke and call me Psycho Derek, obviously, because. Oh, I didn't even connect that. And I was like, of course, the worst name on the entire show is my own. It's not like a cool name that they used. It's like this crazy person who tries to kill people. But, yeah, <laughs> I, I, would, I would nerd myself out way too much if I could tell you how much I could quote either TV shows or movies so like don't even open that floodgate because no one here will actually listen to anything i said in the previous 45 minutes they'll all just focus <laughs> on the fact that how much time i have on my hands to be able to memorize all these things so let's <laughs> let's not open that floodgate <laughs> so sorry listeners if we lost you sorry chatting about one tree hill but it's a great show you should watch it love you <laughs> all right derek thank you so much for joining me today where can the listeners find you Oh, they can find me. All my social media is the same at dshell4. Um, my email address is just my first and last name and then the number three at gmail.com. Um, reach out. I love hearing from new people. Um, I love connecting. Almost all my friends are cross-country people that I've met through this crazy experience of kind of finding myself and coming out. So look for me at dshell4. I'm here for you. All right, everyone. That's today's episode. Have a great day.